Hello, and welcome to this, another episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and today I'm speaking with Whitney Hauser, the editor of Aliens Abducted My Parents and Now I Feel Kinda Left Out, or Now I Kinda Feel Left Out. Anyway, uh, <laughs> just premiered at Sundance, and uh, so that's why I got the opportunity to talk to her. Um, if you are new to hearing my voice, I run the Frame and Reference podcast here on the Pro Video Coalition Network. Um, and primarily, I interview cinematographers. But uh, this Sundance uh, season, I was able to interview plenty of cinematographers, but also a bunch of editors. And so uh, you're going to get some editor goodness here on the Frame and Reference uh, special editions here on the Art of the Frame feed. Um, but if you kind of like the way I conduct these interviews, these sort of um, more conversational nature, uh, feel free to head on over to the uh, Frame and Reference proper um, feed, if you'd like to call it that. You can do it right now. You don't even have to pause this. Wherever you're listening to this, uh, Frame and Reference is available. So yeah, mostly DPs over there. Sometimes, you know, a director or, or a production designer, someone like that. Um, but these next few episodes here on Art of the Frame are all going to be editors from Sundance, which is really cool. Um, so I'll let you get to that. I try to keep these inter these uh, intros short, especially uh, now going into season three over at Frame and Reference. There's almost no intros, so none of this vamping. <laughs> um, so let's just get to it. Here's my interview with the amazing Whitney Hauser. So are you in are you in um, Park City right now? Or are you at at home? No, I I left uh, Tuesday night. I could only stay there for like I went. I got there Thursday night, stayed for the weekend, saw a bunch of films, including the screening for Aliens, um, and uh, wanted to be there for the editor brunch, which was fantastic. It was such a great experience. I loved that. Was my first Sundance ever. I've never been. So I still haven't. What I didn't know there was like, is there a, is there like a brunch for each department? Is there like a DP brunch, a gaffer brunch? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm assuming there's, I'm sure there's a writer's meeting and a director's, I'm sure. Um, but uh, Jake sent me information on the uh, editor brunch and it was just incredible to like be in a room with a bunch of really talented editors and meet them. And cause I, I for the last few years I've been working mostly from home. I worked a little bit in Utah. So it's nice on a, on a show called Studio C, which kind of led to the film. Uh -huh. um, so just being able to like come out of my little like, you know, edit space and like meet other people was great. Great experience. Yeah. I, I always wonder, because whenever there's, I think, especially in the like cinematography world or or I shouldn't even call it cinema, but like the videography world, there's a lot of, I want to meet, meet like-minded people. And then you get there and I hate that phrase now because uh, anyone who says that usually just means like, oh, I need someone to hold my hand and like tell me what I should be doing. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. I can't imagine the Sundance editor's brunch was like that. What was, the, what was kind of the environment there? You know, I think it's, you know, the first thing I thought to myself was all the questions I have in my head about like, uh, I'll give an example, switching from Avid to Premiere or like, right. you know, I might need to be an associate editor to further my career or even like go back as an assistant. I mean, weirdly, that's kind of how it works if you don't know enough people. And I'm nervous about like, you know, my abilities as assistant because it's been so long. Like you just hear all those little things in your head that you are concerned about 
uh, learning After Effects as an editor? Is it important for me to be learning After Effects? Or is it like, should I be going down that road at all? And, you know, it's, and just hearing other editors kind of voicing the same issues feels yeah. good. Um, and like-minded people, I just want to meet more people doing things like whether it's right. short films or whatever. I just, directors, edit, you know, I just like film people in general. It is, it is nice to be able to get a sounding board to like, right. like am I crazy? Am I yeah. like working too much? That's exactly <laughs> Should I be it. charging more? You yes, know? that too. Payment. Yeah. Um, and e right. So that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so I actually kind of want to ask about the the whole, like, should I be getting the After Effects thing? Because I've noticed mo whenever I'm editing is primarily for corporate clients. Uh -huh. Very rarely am I editing narrative or anything like that. Yeah. And so there's not a lot of like, oh, that's not my specialty. Because then they oh. just don't hire you next time. Right. So it's like I had to get really good at coloring, for instance, which sure. had different... Uh, I guess ramifications isn't the right word, but, you know, helped me out in other places, especially yeah. as a DP. But um, after effect, you know, titling, hey, uh, we we were wondering if you could do this, that and the other. And you're just like, you can't say no. Right. Because they you don't know what no is. They're right. like, you edit, right? You do all the oh the transitions. Did the, does anyone hit you with the like, oh, we're looking for some cool transitions. And you're like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes. not actually what you're looking for. Yes. 100 percent. Yeah. Um, so have you learned? So let me ask you, have you learned After Effects? Have you gotten deeper into I'm, like? I'm fine. I'm, interview I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, I, I'm okay at it. I, I, uh, it depends obviously on what. What you're doing. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I've been using Premiere and After Effects since the early 2000s. Okay. But the thing that was funny was After Effects back then we were really stoked like I, I remember in college this is like 2008 I remember being incredibly excited that you could put 3D titles in a scene so if you remember like the opening sequence of Panic Room sure. or Moon where like the, the titles were like in the scene uh -huh. we thought that was the coolest, coolest. shit right. and then, Right. And then either that, it was either muzzle flashes or lightsabers, you know, so right. it was, I could do those three things pretty good. Right, right, right. I hear you. Yeah. Well, I'm new to Premiere. So I started out in Avid oh. um, and then I got asked to be on the show. Jake, the director of the film, um, was working as a showrunner on Studio C. So he asked me to come on that show because that was my entry into scripted TV. I was, I started in reality. And right. so I came, I went to Utah, worked at Kaleidoscope and they were Premiere. And he was like, you're going to have to learn Premiere. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to learn. I'm, you know, right. I'm quick on Avid. I have my moves. Um, and it really I felt use like the mouse. Yes, exactly. I have like, there's actually one specific move. I won't go into it that Premiere just doesn't do. But um, that is my main like, so I had to like, it's like being right handed and writing with your left hand. You know, you, you come, you get it, I'm sure. as yeah, an editor. Yeah. Um, but I love Premiere now, like love Premiere. I cut the Alien movie on Premiere. Um, I just started learning Dynamic Link with uh, After that's Effects. A good, that's yeah, a good and one. I I subscribe to Motion Array and um, Artlist and Envato. So sometimes I'm on tutorials and I'm just like messing around with it. But it's a weird dance because you really don't know. Like you know, I talk to editors 
who are around my age who've been doing this for a while. And I'm like, do you know After Effects? And they're like, I don't want I'm not going to try to do, I'm not get, I'm not going down that road. And I don't want to get right. pigeonholed and I don't, you know, um, but it's nice to at least expand your capabilities, you know, and know what you're able to do or do something quick if it's needed. But um, I don't think I'll ever be a visual effects artist right. ever. <laughs> so it uh, is especially nowadays obviously not narrative but any other work like again people hear the word editor and just think you have this multidisciplinary skill that allow you to do especially motion graphics i had a yes rather large um national corporate client have me edit together this recap video for their year it was like incredibly corporate like zero yeah. fun yeah and 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 they're like, it's like a recap of all of the stuff we did this year. I was like, okay, what am I filming? And they're like, no, 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 we're going to send you a bunch of newspaper clippings. And I was like, okay. And they're like, yeah. and just can you just put it together? And so I made oh what God. was ostensibly a slideshow. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, we were just wondering if the, this could be like cooler. And I was like, yeah. so yeah. a buddy of mine, Brian, does the um, motion graphics for the like Emmys and stuff. Yeah. And I just sent him the prod and like he did it and it's exactly what they wanted in there. And they came to me again and I was like, here's Brian's email. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm Is not going to make you another slideshow. Did you see he was a visual? Was he VFX artist? Yeah. 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 He's a v yeah. 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 It's motion a, graphics guy. Yeah. 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 I get that. Yeah, that's that's hard. I also I wonder if doc documentary editors have more skill like a skill set in that because I feel like it was when I watched documentaries you know there's all this like archivals that are messed with and you wonder yeah. like did you do that or did you send that off to you know an art a VFX artist I don't know so it's yeah being being able to say like I can't do that is hard to do but you have to because you can't do everything you just you can't yeah. you know there's I don't know so yeah was there a point in your career when you realized you could so for like for being a DP, I have to like tell I have a friend of mine who's like really talented, but constantly takes these low paying gigs. He's like, well, I got to pay the bills. And I'm like, just stop taking those gigs right. and start asking for more. And at some point you're going to get a client that will pay you more and also asks less. Like all of these like $500 gigs suck ass and they what? never get good. 100% that's true. I have, that is 100% true. Yes. So most places I've worked at in reality and recently have had a VFX artist. And if I were to go for simpler jobs or low paying jobs or just to, you know, that they do want more from you. So you do have to hold out for those gigs because they invest in the people who are really good at that, who can do it really quickly, you know, because it saves time. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that makes a lot. That's true. What was the, uh, what'd you learn from reality editing that you kind of were able to carry over into um, Oh my narrative? God, I can talk forever about this because at first, well, I started sort of late anyway. I, not that that matters, but anyway, I, um, when I got started, I just kind of took whatever job and it was at this place called Original Productions that did, uh, um, Ice Road Chuggers and Deadliest Catch and, and I was just, I don't really, I didn't know what, how I wanted to start. I just, you know, and uh, so I, but that was my start is reality. And so I worked up from there, but I wasn't inspired. It's not like I watch reality TV at home. It's not right. what drives me in this industry. So for a lot of years, I was really kind of down about the fact that that was how I got my start. And then when you cross over, it's a whole thing and you have to, you know, 
Um, but actually I'm really grateful for it because you really are pushed to understand story, you know, because you're not given it. You're not given a script. You really are just like dumped a lot of, you know, so they just kind of give you a bunch of footage and more often than not, they never got what they intended. Uh, Some, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff they got just doesn't, can we make this more tense or create this problem? Um, that, that we did that we thought we got, but we didn't, you know? Um, so you're, so I think that really pushed me to be just a better storyteller. And so now crossing over into scripted, it's more about performance and really sort of holding up the emotion of every scene. Okay. It's less about like, oh my God, let's just find something to tell this story and create this drama. It's, it's, it's more about, it's just different, but I'm glad I had that background. I think it makes me a better editor. So I think reality editors who do that job really like, I know they're not as respected, but I feel like they're talented. If you can cut that, you're right. a decent storyteller. Yeah. Is it is it more about kind of, I don't want to say manufacturing the scene, but it is a little bit more of like shaping a scene to what the sort of reality script wants versus uh, where narrative, you're kind of like trying to find the best um, combination of takes that the actors are giving you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, the producers try to get what they can in reality. I mean, they really, I mean, so, in some stuff there are, is drama, you know, there is real drama in reality TV, but a lot of things are forced. I think we all know that. I'm not like yeah. unveiling something. It's like WWE, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's not fake, but it is scripted. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, um, and that was the thing with the film that was different. Um, that was the first time I ever cut anything where they just because they had shot the movie before I started yeah. on it and uh, it was all shot and uh they sort of prepped it the assistants prepped it for me and they gave it to me and they're like okay well we'll see you in three and a half weeks with the rough cut and I was like most things I cut you see it after like two days you know right. and this was like all right put the entire movie together and we'll see you in three and a half weeks and I that was a little overwhelming um and then to just the story's there. I mean, the performance is there. The lines are there. It's really just, you're right, finding the combination of takes and performance that work the best um, was a different, was different for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, f I found editing especially made me a better DP because when you have to edit your own stuff, you really quickly learn what you're never going to use, you sure. know, what, what you're shooting for your own ego kind of thing. Right. Um, I imagine uh, with your experience, you got very good at like <laughs> knowing how to sculpt the scene so that regardless of what a director or producer says, you're like, just trust me on this one. This is actually what people care. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> you, you have an opinion. Yeah. This is a little more objective, I should say. Actually, that's another interesting difference between reality and scripted because they, in reality, they just, uh, they just hope that you cut a scene that works. They're like, oh my God, we got everything. We got covered, you know? And directors and Jake got these really fantastic shots. And sometimes I'd watch it and I'd be like, oh, you could tell he really wants to stay here or he just loves this long shot. But you know, a take is better in the close up or in a medium or whatever. And you're like, it's this balancing act between respecting the director's wants and desires and you know that that's what he wants and also making decisions that you think are best for the story 
you know, you know, so that is not something I ever experienced in reality. Um, you know, if you cut a scene together and that, that works and makes sense, they love it, but it's, you know, with a director who, and a DP like Jeremy and who was on aliens, they really like went out of their way to get these beautiful shots. So it's like, okay, do I stay with this gorgeous shot or do I switch to this moment? That's, you know, better performance or, you know, so that was an interesting thing to figure out. Yeah. I, I feel like people listening who aren't editors might hear that that's more restrictive having to deal with that overhead, but I find it incredibly freeing to do instead what? of the, oh, to, to work under like a, a director basically, because oh. having the onus be on you to create the scene is way worse than having guidance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Jake is very like, you know, we've worked together before, which is why he brought me on. And I was, you know, Studio C is scripted comedy. It's a, what led me to this film was Studio C and, and uh, that's a sketch comedy show. It's like a family friendly sketch comedy show. Right. And uh, so there's some trust there anyway, between the two of us. Um, but there was some moments where I'd cut something and we'd watch it together later. And he was like, I'd, I'd rather use this shot. And I'd feel bad at first. I'm like, that's okay. You know, it's my opinion versus his and, you know, but he's got great. I mean, he's fantastic, which is why I got into Sundance. So, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I find that, uh, especially now that I've, I've over the pandemic, I had to switch to being a colorist because, which I know it sounds insane. Like, Oh yeah, I just went from DP to colors. But yeah. I had to do something that I could work from home, you know? Yeah. And I found that, I'm wondering if this is the case for you, like, being a DP, if, if I got a bad shot and someone goes, I don't like this, right. that hurts my feelings. Right. But if you color a scene poorly or, or to the way that the director doesn't want, I'm just yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll change it. Like, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't I, hurt my feelings. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do anything, man. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I... I I think the first thing I ever cut and I showed somebody I thought it was really amazing. The first thing I ever cut in my whole career. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'm going to have them watch this. And they just ripped it apart. And I realized, you know, I will never, ever be married to anything I do ever again. <laughs> so, you know, as much as I like something, I just sort of have to, you know, and I like that about, I like, I like collaborating anyway. It's, I don't want to just have my own opinions. I want other people to tell me what they think, but it's interesting that you're talking about, um, DPs or directors also being good editor. Like I'm obsessed with everything everywhere all at once. I'm sure. Oh, aren't we all? I interviewed the exactly. DP on this spot on frame and reference. Larkin Seibel. Yeah. So, uh, what's funny about that is not to interrupt you. I, yeah. uh, so the, I got in, I got invited to the screening before the movie had come out. Yeah. I get invited to the screening. It's in IMAX. Uh, <laughs> wow. um, every, all the actors are there. Uh, Bill Pope, the director, uh, the DP of The Matrix, is sitting in front of me for some reason. Uh, they had a Q and A session. It was rad, right? And yeah, and so I see this movie, and I'm like, "This is one of the best fucking movies I've ever seen." It's and incredible. I'm telling all my friends, like, "You guys got to see this movie again." Not out. Yeah. Me and Larkin do the podcast. He uh, puts a hold on it because he wasn't sure. He he thought he like misspoke a few times, and then yeah. he started working, so he didn't really get a chance to listen to it. And then, so moral of the story. He finally like this dude. He's like, oh no, I'm good. I was, like, but yeah. it was like nine months later. Oh wow! So, so the podcast could have come out like when the movie released, and oh, instead wow. it came out like four months ago. Jeez, yeah. And so it's hilarious to listen to it again, and we're sitting there talking like, 
well, you know, I hope people like it. Like, it, I, it's, <laughs> hope people like it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was real. Like, he's just sitting there on his phone. Like, I don't know. Yeah, we shot. You know, me and the Daniels are pretty cool. Like, yeah, it's, me and the Daniels. It's are a very uh, casual for how uh, for how much attention it had gotten since then. You know, it, eleven it, Oscar noms. It, it, it me. I felt like a little kid. Like w- the reason why in this industry, when I watched that, I've seen it, and I never rewatch. I don't really watch films over and over again. I've seen that six me times. Neither. I just like pause and like, you know what I mean? Like, how did you do that? How did you know the details of everything? The costume changes, just the set, and the fact that they shot it in thirty-five days. I mean, you all know this because you, yeah. And yeah. and what the reason why I bring this up is because you could tell that um, the Daniels are editors by the way yeah. they shot that. You know, I kept watching it thinking like, oh, you have to, you have to be an editor to get those shots that just flow like that, you know? So. Did you, did you see their uh, little short film, Interesting Ball? I haven't seen that. No. So it's, it's just on YouTube. I think that, I think it was, they got money from like some ad company and uh, made it. And it's a, it's just a weird short, but if you watch it, you can see a direct line between interesting ball and everything everywhere really one of the characters names is waymond in interesting ball oh, interesting. i mean it, it's a, it's a i guess that was the uh, the actor's name and okay, then they yes, thought that was a funny name so then they funny. just named him that in everything everywhere but yeah. uh yeah it's like it, it's it's 10 minutes again you can find it on youtube or something like that yeah. but it, it is just it's as fun. weird just as yeah. silly it's about like a red rubber ball that goes and like goes around people's lives and has an effect like he he uh bangs some girl some guy's wife the ball does a whole lot of stuff yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well you know i did see one thing well of course i've seen their music video the turn down for what everyone's seen that right. and then they did another video a uh, music video i st- i don't really know the band off the top of my head i want to say the shins i could be wrong i don't think it was the shins um, but it was a while ago and it was just like a bunch of naked people running in the wilderness and yes. if people were shooting clothes on them and I wanted, to, I just like, I've watched that a few times. I'm like, how are these clothes? Like V are they VFX in? Like what are they, are people throwing them? Like what's happening? Like, I just, I love that. It's just so neat. And I don't know. They're just fantastic. It, yeah. It does. I'm hoping that their success makes it so that those who are um, funding projects are willing to take a chance on more, you know, whatever, weirder, more fun, more personal projects and not, ooh, let's hire the Daniels for everything. Because obviously right. they deserve a bunch of success. But sure. um, I feel like... In, you know, I've kind of become jaded to this industry at this point where it, I I fear that they're going to go, oh, that's lightning in a bottle. No one else can do that. Right. I see. Which no one else can do that. But like, right. you know, the idea of like a, a mid budget film is dead. There's either super indies or Marvel. Right. And everything in the middle is is gone. And so we have this one everything yeah. everywhere that I think has sparked so much joy. Right. That it's like, let other people, let more people do that. Right. Absolutely. 100%. And I'm just surprised by the budget. It was, and just the amount of time they took to do it. I just, anyway, I could talk. Oh. I know this podcast isn't about that movie, but. like I, No, like I said, we can talk about anything. I will say, yeah. I don't know what number you heard, but Larkin told me specifically whatever number's going around, it was yeah. half of that. Oh, really? I think it was 20. Yeah. 
Yeah, I saw 25, but 20, that is insane. That is absolutely mind blowing to me. At the time, I think people were saying it was 40 and he was like, if it was 40, it would have been a completely different film. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. And and I, all of his, I, I heard an interview with Larkin and he was talking about all the things they did when they didn't and that, that he likes being pushed when they don't have the funding, you know, like yeah. he'd rather be pushed, you know, to do, and that, that makes sense instead of having all the money and um, anyway, whatever. But I just, and I met, I actually, I met Paul Rogers. Um, I emailed him like three months ago and just was like telling him how great I thought he was. And he was so kind to be like, you want to come in? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. I do. What a humble editor too. He just, I feel like we all have a little bit of like imposter syndrome, but he's so talented and he's a super nice guy. So. Anyway. Yeah. The, the <clears throat> imposter syndrome thing is weird because you know, it's like, it's like trying to teach students anything where they right. won't listen to you until it happens to them. Sure. Like the, the number of people that like, especially on, on, you know, frame and reference or whatever, the number of DPs who have mentioned something akin to imposter syndrome or like how, you know, they're, they're excited to talk to me. And I'm like, what are you, you know, you shot fight club and he's just like, yeah, no, but people don't really talk to me that much. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, right. you know. Uh, you can tell exactly. anyone that like, uh, that everyone deals with that or everyone deals with, uh, the fear of not getting the next job, you 100%. know, especially over the holidays. <laughs> 100, well, and that's really funny. To November bring that to January sucks ass. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Cause this is the first time I ever found myself off a project around the holidays. The first time I've been always lucky enough to be working through the holidays always. Uh, this time around it was like and then I didn't want to rush to find more work because Sundance was coming up and I didn't want to take a job and be like okay I'm going to be gone for five days six days you know um so now I'm just looking for my next thing and uh I know I I know it'll happen I'm not but I definitely have felt the holiday slump for sure yeah it's uh yeah every year every year yeah I I have the thought Oh my God, I'm washed up. No one's going to hire me again. <laughs> See, you know, that's what I'm Every talking about. See, I'm so glad. This is why being around editors and people who are like you, like it's nice to hear that you're not the only one in your head thinking these yeah. things. Like this is, that's a normal feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, it's not true because you're right. Deep oh, dying. my whole, my whole February is fucking stacked now. Oh, like, really? it, and it all came in on like one week. Like oh, one really? week wow. I got hit up by everyone. Oh, and it was yeah. just like, hey, we're, we got a project in February, we got a project in March. But right. between November and January, especially because yeah. you're not making money and you got to buy people Christmas presents. Right. You're looking at your bank account and going, yeah. I would love a job. Is anyone right. doing anything? And they're like, right. Ah. Right. Yeah. We're just kind of wrapped up, bro. We're not. Right. <laughs> Actually, one of the things they were talking about, too, about Sundance at the editor brunch was like, um, you guys all took time to be here. Some of you like had to take off time from work and whatever. You also paid a lot to be here, which is true because when I decided to go, I was like, oh, wow, I have to get an Airbnb. I have to do right. And that adds, adds up pretty quick, but you, you do it for all the right. I mean, you meet the right people. It's good for you networking wise, but it's also yeah. not, you know, financially easy. Yeah. yeah. And of course it happens again, yeah. during, kind of during the holidays. Exactly. And Park City is not cheap. Um, no. I've, been, I've, I've been there once for a ski trip and I just remember going, this is a mountain built for skiers. <laughs> yes. It's very it flat. It also looks like a cartoon. It looks like something out of it. Like it looks like elves live there and Santa, like I, it was gorgeous. It's just like little houses on the side of the mountain with these like, it was 
I was stunned. I've never it's seen a, a snow town like that. Have you ever been to Telluride? I imagine not then. So if you just Google pictures of Telluride, yeah. you'll go, oh, they shot this on a long lens. That's why it looks like this. Or like, yeah. oh, this was modified in some way. It is not. Every photo of Telluride is exactly what it is. It's this strip of a town, like yeah. one main street, basically, in in a perfect valley that like ends at either end of the town. So it's yeah. just you're it, you're just in this like bowl of mountains. Wow. Um, and that so, is a trippy looking that, that makes no sense town. That sounds awesome. I think I should check that out at some point. <laughs> they have a they have a film festival out there. They do and a jazz festival. Yeah. I haven't been to, this is actually my first, well, I've been to a few festivals, but this is my first major festival. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to ask about the the whole networking thing. Cause I think when I try to make these podcasts, um, at least somewhat educational and, uh, I find that when people say like, oh, you know, the, the classic, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, and all this and the yeah. network thing, what does networking mean to you? Cause I, I'll tell you my version. Uh, <laughs> to tell me yours because I, I have a funny opinion on it. Yeah. Oh, are you opinion. gonna tell me your virgin first, or do you want me to? No, go you go first. Okay. I don't want to color your. This answer. is. I'm so glad you brought this up because uh, I have been for most of my career. I have said, but mostly in reality, I'm like, I'm just not good at networking, and I'm just I don't do that, and I don't know how to like yeah, and I'm not gonna get into all that. I'm not gonna like have lunch with somebody and pretend to be there, you know. Um. And then I realized crossing over into moving back to LA, I was in New York for a while and moving back to LA and trying to get into scripted stuff. I realized it doesn't matter if you're good. If you don't, if you're not known, it does not matter. You, you have to meet people. And I have avoided social media like the plague. And last weekend in Sundance, I realized it, I realized that it was hurting me to not be on social media. And so I just put up my first professional Instagram, which is really awkward. Uh, to me, I was like, I have the, no people following. <laughs> I've got like 25 people, but it's purely professional. And it's a way to like connect with people, you know, like, um, and also I started a few months ago in November. I didn't do it in December because I was like, no one's hiring and nobody cares. Everyone's on vacation, so forget it. But I was, I emailed um, the Woman King editor, Tara Lynn. I emailed, um, Gary, uh, I forget his name, last name. He cut, nice. yeah, he he cut <laughs> Fleabag and Killing Eve, and like he he's a funny, he's a really great editor as far as comedy, I think. And um, actually, and then Eddie Hamilton, uh, oh, yeah. the editor for yeah, and he got back anyway. All these people got back to me, which is and you know, and I was not not that they could hire DPs me. He's the same way. No one talks to him. So they're like, oh, hey, it's <laughs> like, great, fine. I'll talk to you because I think what you do is so impressive. But I realized like I have to do that, that it was stepping out of my comfort zone to do that, to send those emails. And I remember sending them thinking like, oh, this is so awkward. They don't want to read this. And then they got back to me and they all and and now I have an open dialogue. I mean, they're not going to promise me jobs, but at least like and I think I realized that over time I have to like I, I just joined the AC affiliate program. I'm waiting oh, to nice. get into that so I can go to networking events. I just joined the union because the last projects weren't union. So I'm trying to get more union. So I have to go to those events. I have to go to events and I have to. So it's hard, but I realize it's a part of the career. My career, I have to, I can't ignore. I have to just change the way I think about it. That's my answer. What's yours? 
So, <laughs> way to put a period on that. Yeah. Uh, I'm done. Um, <laughs> and that's it. Oh. Uh, so, I think especially like in film, did you go to film school? I didn't. Um, did you go to college? Was, I, in fact, I had a whole new career. I, I was in real estate in my 20s. and. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Did that make you enough money to actually jump into editing? <laughs> Because I imagine that's not a. You know what's really funny is that was the plan. I was like, I'm gonna make all. I'm gonna make a certain amount of money, and I'm gonna go to this school to learn Avid. That was my plan. And uh, then the housing crisis happened, and yeah. we all fell out. We just and the new people my my age because I was in my 20s weren't doing well, and so I was forced. I was like, fine, I might as well do the thing that I wanted to do my whole life. And so thank God, like whenever I think about that moment, I don't think I would have left real estate. I hated real estate, but I was making enough sure. that I don't think I would have left on my own. So I got forced. And so then I, anyway, that's my story. Go ahead. Yeah. The, the, I, I definitely had to do things to like force myself into, uh, my career. Yeah. You think getting tattoos is one of them. It's not everyone in this fucking <laughs> career has tattoos. Um, well, wait, did you go to film school then? I did. Well, okay. so I went to Arizona State and uh, there was um, at the time a film school had just started. All right. And uh, in 06, my freshman year was 08. And uh, which is going to make a lot of people listening to this podcast angry. Um, <laughs> slightly older demographic. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the film school that hadn't really gotten their feet under them right now, it, it's the Sydney Portier school, American School of Cinematography, I've like or not cinematography, filmmaking. They have like a massive facility with stages and editing bays and coloring suites um, and theaters and all. Yeah. We were all fighting each other for a 5D when I was oh, there. Oh, wow. Uh, we had to edit. They had editing computers with Final yeah. Cut 7 on them. We had yeah. to we ended up all pretty much using our own. Actually, that's not true. I think I was one of the few people who had premiere and after effects okay yeah and actually now that i think about it most people were using the school's computers but yeah um yeah it was just very bare bones okay yeah. um and so i ended up working for red bull over there uh -huh. and i thought that was going to be my career because i i wasn't getting creatively fulfilled at that film school yeah, and i had yeah. gone to film school before it at, at new york film academy and that was like this is what i want to do and right. then i spent four years at asu finding everything else that's fun to do Except film. Right. Um, and especially at the time, Red Bull was like the biggest company, like the, the most impressive, like everyone wanted a piece of that. If you said, oh, I work for Red Bull, which at one point we were told absolutely in no uncertain terms, don't do. Yeah. Um, or do not do that. Uh, you could say, oh, I work for Red Bull. And, and people, I, I'm telling you, in Las Vegas, you could be like, I work for Red Bull. And they'd be like, you can cut the line right this way, boom, because everyone's a Red Bull account, right? Wow, I, um, yeah, that makes sense for that year. 2000 what? Two, this would have been 09, yeah, okay. 09, 10, yeah. something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 11, same thing. It was like, if that, when that was on my resume, it didn't help me get any film jobs, but all the corporate work for yeah. the first year or two yeah. all sprung from, ooh, you worked for Red Bull, give us some of that, you know? Wow, wow, wow. Because um, no one knew what the magic was. It was right, just right. advanced influencer yeah. marketing basically oh, that's cool. um but yeah that that uh that job made it i had to like completely detach and go like all right i'm only focusing on cinematography or i'm only focusing on filmmaking and then that yeah. took five years and yeah i tell everyone it takes about five years to to start you start and then you flounder for about five years and then you actually start 
I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly how I felt. That's exactly how I felt. I was a logger for almost two years because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Like logging footage. Like yeah, man that, walks that, across screen. <laughs> that's yeah. Like, and that must feel like you're just spinning your wheels when you're just like not when you when you aren't able to do the creative side of things. Yeah. And I just don't think I believed in myself. It took me it took me a few years. And then also, you know, being an assistant editor is very technical. There's right. nothing creative about it. So Which I'm some assuming people are really adept at really good. But I was not. I was like a bull in a china shop. I was like pulling cores and things were smoking. <laughs> like It's not good. I got fired the first time. Um, but then I did become a really good assistant. And then when I started um, editing, um, that's when I really felt like, oh, I actually, all the feelings I had as a kid and in my head that I wanted to do this, like, I actually do have something here. There's so, you know, and then it just unfolded from there. But I, I agree the whole five years. Yeah, that's exactly how it felt for me. I've, I've noticed that at least in my life, but I feel like this might be true is like, and I don't know if this is something to do with the American education system or the way that our like kind of lifelong sort of circadian rhythms work, but like everything seems to happen in four to five year chunks. Yeah, I feel you that. Know, first it starts in school and then after you graduate, it's like every four or five years, that's when the next step happens. And you're Absolutely. lucky if you can shorten it down to three. Right. <laughs> I I feel that. I think that's that's pretty true. I feel like right now, this last year has been a game changer. Like I feel like because I think towards the end of the reality, and again, I'm not trying to, I know there's, there's people out there who love reality and I'm not trying to, right. but it, but it, I stayed too long on this show called Impractical Jokers because I was comfortable oh, sure. there. You've heard of that show. Yeah. Yeah. And it was comedy and the people were really great. And I was like coming in at 10 and leaving at six and I had a long job. I didn't have to look for anything else. And I felt really valued. And after, and I, so I stayed there for a while because I had, struggled, I think in my, in every career path and finally, but towards the end, I just was un, uninspired a little bit and didn't feel sure. So the crossing over into scripted and now even just going to Sundance last week, the fact that it got into Sundance is just mind blowing, you know, to have to cut your first feature and then have it be in Sundance is just like, and I feel now just like completely re-inspired. I just want to like meet more people now and do short films. I don't even care what I make. I mean, I do once I got to eat, but like, right. you know, <laughs> I just want to do, I just want to be around people who want to do things, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I, I, I think the, if I were to repackage that, cause I feel the same way as like doing something like impractical jokers, uh, you know, we get into these jobs cause we don't want to work a desk job. We don't want to work in a cubicle. Sure. And I assume doing reality and maybe even a television show that goes for like eight years mm -hmm. starts to feel like an, like an office job. Yeah. You do. You actually, there's music. There is music on that show because we have a music library that we use, and there's right. certain music that I will hear in other stuff. And I'm just like, I just, I can't hear that track one more time. Like I can't, like I, you know. So while, and I mean, I was on that show for I think five years. I mean, occasionally I jumped off to do other things, but like I always came back to that show, yeah. and it was a lot of fun because all you do is crack you know, everyone's in your edit bay and you're cracking up at what happened on the floor and Joe Gatto is so hysterical and sound, you know, and the marks, whatever you, you're not really supposed to call them marks, but the people that like, <laughs> the, the people that 
are watching them. You get to like sift through all that footage. It's really funny and fun. But, um, you know, like my favorite out of everything I've done, my favorite thing was cutting Elizabeth Mitchell in this scene in Aliens, the movie. It's like a dramatic scene between Jacob Buster, who played um, Calvin, and um, uh, Elizabeth Mitchell, who played his mom. And it wasn't funny because I do like comedy, but it wasn't funny. It was dramatic. And that was probably the best thing I've ever cut in my life. And I'm just like, oof, I want to do more of that. I want to cut that stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. So It is, it is um, kind of, fr- I suppose it is frustrating when you get into a field that demands creativity and are put, not to say that this was the case, but I, I you know, I'm kind of trying to sidelong conclusion, but um the people who have hired you aren't allowing for you to fulfill your creative needs. They're like, uh-huh. we just need you to f- just do this thing for us. Yeah. And it, yeah. it does feel a lot like, again, pencil pushing or whatever, you know, where it's not, it, it, you're not getting anything out of it as an artist. And if you continue to do that over a while, that's how you develop burnout. It's not the hours. Yeah. yeah right. If you're, if you're creatively fulfilled, you can yep. work 18 hours and you'll like leave with a smile. But if, right. if it's not nurturing in that way, three hours feels like a complete nightmare. Actually, it's interesting. You said that, right. And one thing that Paul, then the, I met him, uh, the hour I've spent with him, one thing he said that I thought was really interesting, this is Paul Rogers. He was like, and of course he's at a certain level in his career, he gets to do this. But this is right. what he says is he does like every year or something he does, or just in general, he does eight or nine projects for me and one for you. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you know, Um, and like, it's nice to get to that place in your career where you're just like, no, no. And actually I I have a little bit, I mean, I, because I started in reality there, I still get asked to do certain jobs and I'm not in a place where I have to take them yet. So I've been saying no more. I might have to say yes, (laughs) because I need, you know, Um, but uh, it's, it's a nice place to be, to, to just stick to being to doing the kind of work that you inspires you. It's, yeah. So I get it. What are, what are you working on now? Or what do you do now? Uh, like a- so right now it's a lot of corporate stuff. I mean, like my bread and butter work is like just random corporate things. Although I am doing a lot more coloring. Like I said, I actually, the, the first big gig I got and it wasn't a big gig, but the film was bigger than average was I, I was the second unit DP uh, on the last Bruce Willis film. Oh, and cool. I just saw it in theaters. What's it called it again? First, like, it's called Detective Night Independence. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think um, I was... Which is the end or beginning, depending on how you look at it, uh, yeah. of a trilogy. Apparently yeah. they shot it first, which okay. makes sense to me now because we shot it forever ago. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it ended up going at the end of the trilogy. Anyway, uh, but I was able to see it in, in theaters, which was cool. And my girlfriend was really stoked on it. And yeah, my buddy yeah, Danny awesome. came with us. But I think cinematographers um, are so, I, that's a whole nother thing. I, I don't think I could ever do that job. It's it, talent. I mean, you have to know what you're doing with that camera. I, uh, I will say I've got like 80 or 90 now episodes of Frame and Reference. And yeah. having talked to that many DPs has really calmed me down in terms yeah. of those like that stress of like oh you really gotta know it it's like oh, right there it's like a certain technical knowledge and then it's all just 
the hard part is going with your gut. Like feet, it like ninety percent of cinematography is feeling. Yeah, right. How does this feel? Right. Right. Not like, oh, is this the prettiest lens or the prettiest light or, or sure. you know, whatever. It's all like, how does this make me feel? And it, the issue with that is it's impossible to teach. You don't go to film school and they don't they don't sit there and go, all right, now make this feel good. Right. That's totally because I'm, feeling it, you can film wrong, quote unquote. Mm, you can right. you can do things that are incorrect to yeah. most people. Sure. But it can feel right. Right. Reusing a shot or or a weird angle or not lighting something a certain way or Right, right, right. Same thing with editing. You know, if if, yeah. if the pacing feels correct, that's better than like editing to the beat of a song or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, and I'm I know this is, you're interviewing me, but I now I'm gonna ask you a question. Like, cause okay. how many like I'm just surprised at how quickly things get shot in a day. Like how many how much coverage, like for instance, Jake cut this movie in 15 days and or sorry shot the movie in 15 days Jake, Jake and Jeremy and like do you go in how much time do you take to prep those shots before uh, the actors so even get there it entirely depends so I'll say for the detective night films I think they shot those in a week okay and I shot 11 pages in one day as the second unit um Wow. So I yeah, so I had to reshoot one half of a scene because yeah. the actor wasn't working. Yeah. So I had footage of what they shot in New Mexico, and then I had to shoot this different actor in a parking lot in Los Angeles as the reverse. Yeah. Uh, so we did all that. We shot another scene inside, and then I just picked off a bunch of random little scenes. I got about. I was kind of proud of myself. I got ten minutes in a ninety-minute film. Plus credits, you know, so like an eighth oh. or ninth of the film. But yeah, I mean, we shot 11 pages in a day. Normally, you know, if you're if you're Roger Deakins, you get a month to pre-plan, right. you know. Right, right. And <laughs> if you're shooting Blade Runner, you know, you get right. maybe six months. Because here's the thing, the people uh, listening need to heed this call. Pre-production is free for the most part. Uh <laughs> You know, when you don't yeah. don't fix your problems on set or in the edit bay. Like you right. can spend as much time as you need before people start handing out cash. Right. And right. then when you get there, you can use it all effectively. Right. You know? Right. Right. But it, yeah, it can be like I said, it can be anything. I for the Detective Night films, I got no prep. I was handed a camera day of, and they're like, "All right, here's what we're shooting." I think I got the script the day before. I that's wild to me because the few things I've done. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. No worries. That's my computer, not my phone. Um, <laughs> the few things I've done, and I'm not, and this is years ago. It's anyway, I don't like to. It's, it's not good. It never went anywhere because we find, we did it, and then we're like, this can't go anywhere. It's terrible. Right. But like just dealing with lighting and any problems, weather, background. Like I just don't understand how you get on a set and you're just you don't you never did any reconnaissance before. You're you know like recon of testing it out like. I just yeah. don't, it blows my mind. So yeah. for, for, for a DP director combo, you're normally doing, you do camera tests. So uh -huh. you know that the equipment is all the way you want it to be. And the actors look the way you want them and the costumes and all that. And that looks good. Uh -huh. And then you'll do location scouts. And that's where you figure out like, oh, here's where the plugs are. You know, <laughs> here's yeah, where the light's coming from. Here's right. where uh, all this kind of thing. And that will usually happen a few months before the shoot. Yeah. And then, um, Normally you have a, a rain cover day, which is basically like every day you have a, a second 
like schedule where if the weather fucks your shit up, you have got it. You set. just immediately pivot to this other thing. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense to me. Okay, got it. Okay. Um, but if you're shooting interiors, it doesn't really matter. But right. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for answering that. I was confused. Yeah, I wanted it's, to know. There is a lot of. If you're lucky, there's a lot of pre pre planning feels so good. I'm, I'm Showing sure. up day of without it does not feel great. Right. <laughs> That's a lot of yeah. Because what do you call it when you want to hit your days? Meaning, like I somebody said, it, it was a term for production term where you want to like hit Make it was your a, day. Is that it? Is that what it's called? Usually it's like if you can make all, I think so. If, if make that's your days or something, yeah, like yeah. meaning like you, anything on the schedule, like then you actually, yeah. And sometimes you go over because it didn't work out and then you get all nervous. But I don't know. I find that side of things really interesting. I hope actually, I hope to direct some stuff. I, I love being an editor, but I hope to eventually like jump sure. out and direct a few things. Yeah. Well, as an editor, you have, you have a director's, you're the third director, you know, goes writer, director, editor, the three right. directors of the apocalypse. Right. Yep. Um, so anyway, the way I think about networking is, yeah, yeah, sorry, is, that's all to say. <laughs> yes, uh, talk to me about networking. I, uh, I just forgot. I never mentioned it. Um, I, I take it as legitimately just like going, cause people will say like, oh, you know, just go, go grab beers with someone or like grab dinner. Yeah. You're not, when you're doing networking, this is more for everyone else listening. You're not there as a business person you're there right. as a person right networking needs a new name it's yes. literally just make friends with people just be friendly right. be around you know don't yeah. don't get don't share don't overshare right <laughs> and then uh just problem. be available yeah and then oh me too it took me 15 years to learn not to do that yeah um and eventually something may come out of it. Yes. But if you just are hanging out with a bunch of cool people for three years, someone somewhere is going to be like, oh, you know, actually, I know an editor. Right. Right. And kick you a gig. And that's how those gig com comes up. It's not like, oh, call a director and, and try to make lunch with them and, and then be yeah. like, here's my resume. Here's my headshot. You know, 100%. that's awful. I, I agree. I completely agree 100% to that sentiment. Like I, in fact, there's a editor group for women here that I went to and I was like, oh, maybe I'll go. And like the first time I went, I was like, maybe I'll go and maybe I'll find a job. And then I left and I was like, oh, that's not what this is. You don't, you just yeah. really just go introduce people and, or sorry, introduce yourself to people and are known. I will say the emails are a little bit more the emails I sent in November were a little bit more direct in that I was like, in fact, I think the title of it was like looking for an assistant question mark to this like big, you know, so it wasn't like, let's get, it, I did say in the email, if you're not looking for assistant, I'd love to just sit in and with it for an edit sesh for like an, an hour, if you got a second, just to like, I'm sure I'd learn a lot. Yeah. But I think outside of that, anything that's like face to face where you're just like at an AC party or like, you know, and that's why I got the Instagram account is right. like, you know, is it, it, it like, it's another what, portfolio website. That's exactly what it, yeah. Instagram, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. It's just a bunch of posters of the things that I've done and it's just, that's it. It's just a way to connect and like, because I, from what I understand too, is like what my friends say about Instagram, because I was not on it. It's like less pressure to message somebody on Instagram than it is to like direct send you a text. So, 
And I'm already, yeah. I've only been on it for like four days and I'm already realizing that people are just like chatting and it's like, oh, it I've goes down in the DMs. Them. Yeah. Was, uh, yeah. Sliding <laughs> into my DMs. Yeah. I could, yeah. I could say that now. Yeah. It's, so. it is funny though. Cause like I had the same experience like, oh, I got to go meet other DPs. It's like DPs don't hire DPs. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. If you want to go to like a producer's mixer, mixer, like maybe, right. which might be weird, but. Right. Maybe yeah. you'll get something out of that. But yeah, DPs aren't hiring you. Maybe you get picked up for like, hey, I, I need an extra hand. But that's generally, that's a result of friendship, not a result of meeting you at some mixer. Yeah. Yeah. I get, you have to fall into with, well, and myself too, you'd have to fall in with directors who want to use you or producers or whatever, right? That's your mm-hmm. main. But I think for me right now is I'm open to assisting. I'm Even though I just cut a film and I've done some scripted stuff, I'm I'm open to working with people who have done incredible stuff and just like organizing their dailies whatever yeah. you know what i mean yeah just so i There's can something like to be said for learning through osmosis you know uh, just being around people that are better than you like even if you're doing a menial job like you, you still have an eyeball on them you know yeah and also i think in this industry i don't know about it, dps but like there's stuff that's happening that I can't keep track, like the technical part of things. When you edit for a while, you kind of forget all that stuff. So it's also nice yeah. to like sort of get back into that side of things to refresh your memory or like, or even learn what's new, you know, like yeah. grouping. Grouping was such a pain in the, you know, it was like I had to have all these keys to like group. And now you just like lay something on top of it and hit a button. And it's just, yeah. you know, so anyway. I- I did want to ask on the technical side, because you said you came from Avid. I was two or three days ago uh-huh. just looking at like, should I download media? And what is it called? Media, not media encoder. That's Adobe. Uh, After, what do they call Avid now? Avid Media Composer? Composer. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I was like, should I download this just to know? And every time I have that thought, I go in there and I'm like, this feels so restrictive. Like it's. Avid feels like such a, and I'm not trying to shit talk Avid. I kind of just want to know what the differences are, but like, oh. it does feel like you have to have, you have to do it Avid's way. Whereas Premiere has always felt like you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I, I always say that Avid feels a little bit like you're doing something and you get this buzzer that's like, eh, wrong, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, oh, so I think the thing that actually I'm grateful that I started on Avid because I think it's easier to go from Avid to Premiere. Right. Than the other way around, I think. Um, and it pushes you to know, like, well, only, you know, the fact that Premiere um, handles frame rate and resolution on the sequence level and not the project level. Yeah, dude. Is really huge. So, you know, it's like, um, yeah. It, but codecs, I think also right? that could Like be- all the codecs have to be project level like they all have to be their codec or whatever right exactly and also um which i think could hurt you later when you're exporting and there's things that the thing about avid is it like you know you do have to bring things in the right way which in the end makes things a little bit easier premiere you could watch something after exporting it or it'll be like this is the wrong frame things could kind of come out a little janky in premiere if you're not it's up to you to not screw it up yeah but it's so user-friendly it's so intuitive i love messing around on effects on premiere and everything just takes like a million more steps on avid i mean we all know that but um and then also um the dynamic link and uh also i think still like i think premieres has a production Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nettle, productions where, like, and then teams, I think, is the other one. 
Yeah. And I think they're trying to compete with Avid's ability to have so many editors working on one thing. Cause that's, that's yeah. one of the things about Avid is like, is like, it's stable in that sense. You could have like so many people on one project or working, getting in and out of a sequence and working on it. And I think Premiere's trying to do that. I don't think it yeah. does it as well. As, so, as far as I'm aware, because uh, I've interviewed a few editors about that were editing like these big documentaries or, or yeah. you know, series or whatever. <laughs> and they apparently they used to like because this this had just come out productions had like just come out so people were still starting to adapt and and you know no one people aren't even people are still on like premiere 17 because they don't want to get to right. you know right. they're like it's stable on our machines we're not gonna yeah. um and i'm i'm a psychopath i hit auto update every time oh, i'm just you like do? let's yeah. go yeah somehow i have built the most stable machine it's from like seven years ago it's oh, wow. it's like a pc but yeah i almost never have problems oh that's fantastic i have yet to yeah so i'm just like whatever auto update let's have fun but i'm also dealing in shorter sequences i'm not dealing with multiple editors but apparently right. the way they used to do it is they would have their own media locally right. and then they would have a shared like dropbox folder with the project files yeah right and so everyone would operate off of that one and that seemed to work so i think productions um sort of mimics that but yeah. is all within the Adobe that's, ecosystem. That's how Studio C worked on that show. I feel like was that yeah. a Dropbox thing, and everybody was working off the, that footage on Dropbox. That's exactly yeah. how it was. Yeah. Um, so I, but I'm real. I mean, I'm still new. In fact, I'm still new to Premiere, so I'm still learning stuff. And actually, yeah. I, and I need to like. It's also sort of, you know, if you work on Premiere, then you're not as fast on Avid, and if you work on Avid, you're not as fast on the, you know. So, yeah. in fact, when I, I remember when Jake hired me on, on Studio C, he's like, come work for me and cut this little thing at home and then we'll bring you out here. And so I cut it. I started to cut it. And it took me forever to cut two minutes. I mean, it took me right. like two hours to cut two minutes. And I called him and I was like, I can't take this job, Jake. I can't, I'm sorry. Like, you're hiring there. I thought I could figure this out quickly and it's not happening. And Jake is so great. He was like, just relax and just, we, there's no rush, you know? And eventually I did figure it out, but that was, it's a pain to go back from, to yeah. from one software, to the software to the next. Um, there, there is Adobe did just put out a, like, how did like best practices for narrative and scripted television PDF. Yeah. That's like super helpful if anyone's mm -hmm. curious. Um, but I, I did want to know kind of what the, uh, so the thing that I, I like about editing in Premiere is like that even resolved annoys the hell out of me about is like, I guess Premiere kind of feels like a generalist where if I need to slap comp something, you know, if it like, yeah. you know, masks are super easy. They're just right sure. there. Effects are just right there. All the things are just right there and you can, yeah. every clip can be yes. stripped apart. You know, it's, it's like yeah. after effects light in some ways, you know, keyframing yes. is super easy. Yeah. Resolve. I, I love resolve. Cannot. I'm same thing, two hours for two minutes. I'm like, where, why is none of this intuitive? Right. Um, and so I constantly hear some of the, I suppose the, you could call them the old heads all talking about like, well, the industry is never going to move off Avid because that's the standard. And I'm wondering from your perspective, why is that? The, is it just the stability of like, um, I, you know, editors working all together and the kind of dummy proofing the, once you've, once you've ingested everything, it's like, you can't, 
fuck it up or or what's kind of the reasoning you think i think it's those two things it's for sure dummy proofing everything so nothing bites you in the end that you can't do because you know it's so loose with things that you can throw in your timeline and um so yes to yes and i also think that i'm trying to think of exactly what um because to some degree it's just it is it's been there and everyone you know anyone who worked on editing between you know whatever 2000 uh, when did ed have it come out late 90s to now that's just what everyone used yeah so obviously people aren't going to want to get off their own thing but i i do think familiar thing yeah having multiple people i can't exactly i'm not sure exactly how what exact the the difference is because i've actually um the last time i was working in an office was with on premiere um with another editor was back in um july august but it's it's not as it is not as easy with multiple editors coming into your project that i don't know exactly why and right now i can't think of it but like even you know like a lock i don't know if premiere does premiere have i'm going to sound really like i'm not an editor but does the premiere have a little lock thing that says it's they do now okay so that's new right yeah i believe so yeah as far as i'm aware yeah so like things like that you know like close your close your secret or get out of your bin so i can get into your bin or whatever from the project we're both in the project together and multiple people and i the organization of it all i i don't know um I can kind of see why big shows with a lot of media that's just constantly coming in all the time and like there's four or five editors on a show, why they use Avid. I'm not sure if I was the production manager of a big show that had like a lot of episodes and a lot of different editors. I'm not sure I'd go with Premiere as much as I love Premiere. I don't know if I would. So I've, I've mostly seen Premiere jumping on obviously all the, uh, personal projects, all the kind of, I suppose, indie stuff, but then also like feature films. But I could, I could obviously see where like reality, especially might be pretty strictly out. If, um, no, never mind. Uh, Reality. Exactly. There's so much footage that comes in and, and editors are, there's a bunch of editors on everything. And so, yeah, I don't know if how, I don't know, but I also think that premiere is getting better. Right. It's like, I mean, I've heard people bemoan the whole subscription model yeah. and sure it is frustrating as a consumer to because every not just because premieres doing it but because or adobe's doing it but like everything is a subscription sure. i kind of have a low-key anger with uh <laughs> capitalism making everything subscription because it's like right. if you're all taking a percentage of my paycheck right at a certain instead of making instead of you can't budget you can't budget for anything it's just you just have less money yes um right but that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the subscription thing has made it so that like back in the CS days, you know, CS5, CS6, whatever, CS2, I think I started on, um, the Creative Suite days, you just dealt with a problem if you had it mm-hmm. or you spent $800 to upgrade and then you got a cool, a couple of new tools basically, but okay. Now it's like automatic. The, the price comes out especially because I use it for my job. Like I was always, if we were still in the creative suite days, I would constantly upgrade anyway. Right. So the price is the same actually. Right. But it's like one day I'll wake up and they're like, oh, there's this new tool where like, for instance, you can just scale music and it'll auto chop it so that 
Have you seen this thing? No. In the essential audio? So in the essential audio panel, this thing will fucking change your life. Um, yeah. You can take any song. It works better with like EDM and stuff. If, if it's yeah. like a weird time signature, it's the AI isn't really good at it. But yeah. um, if it's kind of a four on the floor beat or whatever, you just tell it how long you want it to be. And it will auto cut whatever sounds correct and just make it the so if you're if you've got like a three minute song and you're editing a one minute spot just tell tell it i want it to be one minute and it just goes Doink! and it and it's when it's perfect it's perfect that, i would say eight out of ten times it's perfect that is and what's this and this is on premiere it's a, yeah it's just in the uh essential audio panel i oh, think it's, it's like playing. time rescaling or something oh i'm 100 percent gonna be playing with that later that is crazy it's it has That's made because like I'm a drummer, so I've gotten pretty good at editing. And I sure. back in the back in Arizona in the early 2000s it was very DJ heavy time, so I was yeah figuring all that out. So I'm good. I'm good with music. Yeah. But it would still. I'd be like, all right, if I chop out this section of the chorus, I can make that shorter. Chop two, and then if I do a reverb at the end, that'll make it sound like it's the end. Yeah. Okay. And you're spending an hour maybe trying to make this song the correct. Right. length and then maybe the video gets shorter than that or longer so now you got to right. go find a new thing this thing two seconds boop done this, oh, any wow. length does and it can make it longer too if you want obviously but well, the shortener is definitely the way i use it i'm going to check that out because i'm interested to see what they would do because a lot of times you like with what how you cut and put it together and make it longer you're making choices i'm curious to see what choices they make to make that happen I, especially you know, if it's the, not just a drum or like a backbeat or you know there's like yeah it's uh, whatever the sensei AI is doing over at Adobe sometimes makes really good choices. Wow. I still, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for Lumetri to be really like built out, especially like when your competition is something like Resolve, like it is. Right. You know, but uh, even the, the auto color on Lumetri has gotten better with um, the AI. Like it gets you to a good starting point if you're in Rec 709. Right, right. But um, yeah, the, the audio thing's nuts. It, so, for instance, my girlfriend teaches dance, and uh, but the, she teaches little kids. Yeah. And so she's like, these songs have to be, especially for competitions, they have to be like ninety seconds, on the yeah. nuts. Like you right. can't, can't be yeah. ninety four, can't be eighty seven. Like they have to be ninety. Yeah. And I and I would hate she would come to me and have me edit these random songs. Luckily, they're mostly EDM, but it's like yeah. I just don't. Yes. Ugh, yeah. So frustrating because you're like killing someone's song, right? You Absolutely. know, and you're making these <laughs> yeah. choices of like. You know, yeah. they left the course. They they had that lead up for a reason. Yes. Uh, and now I just click a button and it kills the song for me. But it actually does a good job. But like, it's astounding. That has to be a huge thing for editors who are in a session with directors. Because even the temp score we used on the movie, I we'd have sessions and I was like, okay, well, now that we did this, I have to extend the music. And he's like, okay, we'll wait for you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like... Yeah. Cause you know how long, you don't know how long something will take if you want to c cut it well. It could take five minutes. Like we could be here for a half hour. I don't know how long it's going to take for me to make this music work. So yeah. that's a good tool for those moments, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and the, the I, I just, am, I'm remembering like early 2000s action films where you would hear like a song that you really liked and then yeah. you would hear this horrible cut to make it work and then the yes. end of the song and you're just like, oh. Yeah. That's what we had to do with like the one comes to mind. Jet Li's yeah. the one. Yeah. Um, a lot of bro rock on that one. I bet. Yeah. Uh, oh, I had a follow up for that. And it's gone. <laughs> Damn. 
all of it. Because it was mostly, but I guess we are coming up on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to. We were 11 minutes over. So, uh, or I don't fine. know. I, I mean, actually don't know what you're, I just don't want to keep you. I, out of I don't have a schedule. Uh, but, uh, well, I do, but I always schedule like, I have another interview today, but it's a three. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll just have to have you back on and we'll pick up from where we left off. Sure. I'll add you on the Instagram. We yeah, yeah, <laughs> find me on Instagram. Tools. Be my friend. Yeah. So I have 30 friends. <laughs> I will, I will be your friend. Yeah. Um, Damn, I had a better dismount than this, but I guess we'll just have to go with it. Um, the way I end the podcast is I tend to ask the same uh, three questions. Okay. Um, and so the first one is, uh, what's something, doesn't have to be film related, but what's something that you've kind of learned recently or something that sparked passion in you um, that that's kind of come to you recently? For me, it's been getting back into magic. <laughs> magic? What do you mean? Magic. Well, both Magic the Gathering, but also like card tricks. Oh. I used to do that a lot as a kid. But, oh, really? Um, magic? Oh, the actual I, magic. I, yeah, I really got back into it recently. I started filming for more people at the Magic Castle. And so I was like, oh, well, they're like, do you want to join the club? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. I love it. Um, Are you out? I'm sorry. Are you I'm at the LA. Magic Castle? I'm not performing, no. I just oh, okay. filmed for some of the magicians. And, oh, got it. Um, yeah. That's a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, you just go in and do a 10-minute set okay. basically and if if you can prove that you are better than not better but like no more than um buying a kit or like buying an off-the-shelf trick if you can if yeah. you can show that you have a, a knowledge of the art form and can string together a, a decent set doesn't have to be too impressive yeah. you're allowed to join yeah. as a magician otherwise you're an associate and you don't get access to like the library and you can't yeah. perform at these random little tables around there and stuff got it got it okay that's interesting Cool. Very cool. It's a weird insight into an old ass club in LA, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you, I remember. You can definitely see where like this should probably change, you know, <laughs> very, well, very old boys club in some way. Well, and I know, and I don't know if how you're going to cut this interview. You can cut this out. I'm sure you're going to cut a lot of it out, but I will just sit really quickly. I just going to tell you, like I went to the magic castle once and I went under dress. I didn't have a jacket or a blazer oh, yeah. or whatever. And I was actually on a date and they came out with this hideous blazer that yeah. I had to wear for like a whole hour. And I'm like, well, that's I'm not going to do that again. Anyway, it's really funny. This they're, is like 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. They, luckily now they're, I think the, the blazers are a little better. They're not like those weird oh, polyester, were. but they do make dudes buy. So the, this thing that sucks about the Magic Castle is like a lot of, I'm just going to generalize. This isn't true, true, but it feels true. Uh -huh. Like finance bros will finally get like a day off and then they go there and just act like shitheads. Um, right. yeah, yeah. But they, so they make them buy a tie because they showed up not wearing a tie, right? Because yeah. they don't yeah. they do not do the man. Yeah. Um, and so they're all wearing this red branded Magic Castle tie and you just, yeah. you see that and you go, oh, this guy's going to be a jerk, isn't he? And sure yeah. enough, you know. He's a, yeah. Bro, bro, do that again, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, felt like the jacket they gave me was like a, it was like a reprimanding, like a hard <laughs> come here and dress like that you know it's like i sorry i didn't know i didn't know you know yeah there's there's super sticklers about it which some people yeah. think is really annoying and, and i get that i i think having a dress code is like smart for that sure it's theater you're going yeah. to theater it's vaudeville like let's all pretend let's all do make-believe and pretend that we're being like yeah 1920s like speakeasy you know right. let's have fun let's Absolutely. not yeah i think it, i just but, didn't own anything nice at that point i just kind of went this is a long time oh, ago so. I had I had a suit, but all my pandemic weight hit me 
like the last three months of the pandemic, mm-hmm. not the whole time I was the same size and then just bam, 40 pounds. So my suit didn't fit. So I had to like run to Uniqlo and get like a stretchy suit. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> funny. That's really funny. Um, yeah. Anyway, something that sparked passion yeah. in you or something you've learned recently. Yeah, I'll let you go here. Um, so uh, recently, well, I guess the Sundance experience really made me want to cut and work on smaller, yeah. more indie stuff. Like even if you can't, if, even if I'm not making a whole lot of money, I'll cut it on the weekends. You know, like I just want to see, uh, read a script that I think is interesting. And um, uh, especially uh, LGBTQ content, you know, anything uh, with, uh, sorry, I'm like fumbling my words here. Uh, but also just like, you know, uh, cutting this film, it's just prefer- like actually cutting actors and like working with decent, r- good writing and a director who really goes out of his way to get fantastic shots. Um, it's just super inspired. I love it. I love working with that kind of stuff. And so it's, so now that I've done it, I just want to keep going. And so I feel sort of reinvigorated and just really more motivated to keep going down this path. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good answer, but. No, sure. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine what happened. I I, I kind of touched on it at the beginning, but I can't imagine the the sort of relief it must be to like have just scenes and not have to create it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. It's a new pressure because you just have to uphold a good story and good performance and well good shots. It's almost like here we've given you everything. Don't mess it up. Versus like we're just giving you a whole mess of footage, make something of it. So it's a different yeah. thing, but I prefer it. I just love it. It's to be, to do that, to, to, to work with really talented people in the production side of things is, I love it. Yeah. Well, next film you do, it'll be cool to have you back on and talk about uh, when you started to make choice. Cause like as an editor on scripted stuff, you like your decisions to the outside world might seem weird for you to call them like, uh, dangerous or whatever but like right. holding on one actor for 30 seconds right right you'd be like this is this is bold and everyone's yes. so you didn't edit and you're like no no no, it's editing yeah <laughs> <laughs> well right and like severance i know the uh erica i know erica she she cut severance and i asked i was like how do you cut severance because that has got to be difficult because you're sitting and stuff and that's me i'm very quick you know i like to yeah. get to things quickly i come from a comedy back you have to so it's like you read the script, you know, it's going to be slow, but then like, how slow do you go? And then it feels like you didn't edit. And anyway, I think yeah. a lot about severance, but yeah. the, uh, the that's, but that goes back to what I was saying earlier about like feeling like you have to try instead of, uh, mentally trying to articulate to yourself, like in a comedy or reality background where like, oh, this has to be some way. And, and you're really putting in a lot of, um, mental processing work right i feel like narrative tends to be a lot more like you watch it and you kind of go how did that make me feel what if i do this no that does feel better and then you it's again it's not you're letting you're letting the work speak to you versus imposing yourself on it which i think are the two the two brains yes totally exactly yeah um all right so it's first question down second out of three uh if you were to what's the full title of the film Oh yeah, this is, oh God, I got, I said it so many times last weekend, aliens abducted my parents and now I feel kind of left out, kind of left out. Yeah. 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 So if you, if you're going to program a double feature with the aliens, 
not not Ridley Scott's Aliens, or I guess that was James Cameron. Anyway, yeah. no, uh, I think that's no, I think that's Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott did Alien. Oh, oh Aliens right, okay. is James Cameron. Okay, okay, okay. I know Alien with a dollar sign. Gotcha. Um, if you're gonna program a double feature with your film, what's the other movie? Alongside of Aliens Abducted My Parents. Yeah. Doesn't have to match it. It can contrast it. It can be completely different. But oh, you're programming you're programming the double feature. So what would you have the other film be? Oh my God, that's a really good question. Sorry, hold on. Give me a second. I'm gonna come you up got with something. Plenty of seconds. I know, but you gotta go, I know. Um No, I don't. No, I have two hours. If I want to contrast, it's like, do I want something similar? Or if I, like, do I want to contrast? Oh my God. The Banshees of Inishirith. I don't know. That'd be, <laughs> it's like, that'd be you go from a kid film to a film where a guy's chopping off his fingers and throwing it at this friend. I don't know. Yeah. Like really shocked the audience with a difference there. I don't know. That that I'm going for contrast now. The completely sure. two different films. Yeah. Well, because I find that contrast, like, kind of a lot of times informs the two films better than having them be the same. When you when you have them be the same, it's more like fun. Yeah. But if but one illuminates the other when they contrast in a, in a different way. That's for sure a contrast because you know, ban have you seen the Banshees of Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I left me and my girlfriend left that going. I yeah. don't know how I feel. <laughs> right or you know another good one um after sun oh i haven't seen that oh it's so interesting it's just a it's so good i i it, it it's it's melodramatic it's sad and you know but it's uh i would check that out too i forget the lead actor's name he was in anyway so yeah well, also banshees is kind of a comedy it's a very, right. very dark comedy. But it's a different kind, right. And it's slower, right? And it's just like conversational. And like, I, I really enjoyed it. Weird. But I, I had a feeling at the end, I'm like, I, I didn't know what to think of it. But that's his, I feel like that's very Martin McDonough. Is that yeah. his last name? I'm going to go with it. In Bruges. And he had, he did Six Shooter, right? That was his yeah. like first short. He's dark. In Bruges He's, is such a good movie. It's a very, yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. So, um, did I answer that second question? That was yeah, it. Yeah. No, actually I was going to say in terms of contrast, my favorite, I've used this example a number of times, but just because it was one of my favorite interviews was I interviewed Jeff Cronenwent who shot, uh, Fight Club, Gone oh, Girl, okay. uh, Girl, the Dragon Tattoo, okay. um, all the Fincher films and yeah. whatnot. And, and so I was talking to him about, um, being the Ricardos. Oh yes. I love and that. So, it was it was good and yeah. uh, so i'm talking to him about that film and all the other films and so i was like all right being the ricardo's in a double feature wh uh, what's the other film and without skipping a beat he goes alien versus predator oh wow that's <laughs> so he wants a contrast he didn't even yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i love that uh, i thought that was pretty funny yeah uh third and final question everyone speaking of contrast everyone always asks like oh what's the best piece of advice you got and i think that's a boring question. I want to know what the worst piece of advice you ever got was. The worst. I find oh. it to be more educational. Yeah. Oh, again, sorry. I know you got to go. Give me a second. I don't. I don't have to go. Like I said, I have two hours. Oh, okay. The worst piece of advice. Um, 
Okay. Well, okay. I have two. One is... Two's great. Okay. Okay. One is, um, I was told... Again, going back to the whole After Effects and learning all that stuff, I was told, you know, don't don't learn that. You'll get pigeonholed. And while I think that is true on some level, I actually think that hurts. That will hurt you. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people who probably disagree with me, but I think you shouldn't stop yourself from learning anything. That's my opinion. Like I, I I don't think a lot of well I do I do also get the whole it, people have told me like don't multitask not because you'll get pigeonholed because then people don't know how to use you yeah if you say oh I'm a, a DP editor colorist director they're like all right you I can't take you seriously but yeah. in this specific case if you're an editor and you're editing and you know After Effects that's yeah. only a value add that no one's ever gonna be like. Oh, yeah. well, I can't use you then. Like, yes, that's ridiculous. Right. Exactly. So I, I get, and I hear it a lot and I understand where it's coming from. It's coming from, God, I don't want to go down this path. And like, I don't, and I get it. It's a whole nother job. Some people don't even have that brain. I don't, I'm not a yeah. visual effects person. I don't make graphics well, but just knowing how to do it is important. And then my other piece uh, was when I first started out, my other thing was when I first started out um, and I was editing for the first time and I was with a veteran editor and I had cut Forge and Fire. I was working on Forge and Fire. It's a competition show. And um, and a lot of editors, and I, they're very talented, wall-to-wall music, just wall-to-wall music. Right. And I was not that way. I wanted things to, I wanted to use music to punch and I wanted silence and I wanted to sit without music and come back to music. Right. And... Um, I did that a lot and I think it helped. And, and, and I sat with an editor who was looking at my stuff cause he was, he did, he was a great editor, but he was like watching my stuff and kind of mentoring me at this time. And he said, you know, you starting to stop music a lot and you know, like it's a little jarring, you know? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> which, you know, it's fine. But I was like, no, I don't. Have you seen a movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and I was like, and you know, when you're that age, so, and I think what, and I guess in the moment I was like, he's like, just, you know, don't do that. Cause it's, it's jarring, you know, coming in and out of music. It's, you know, not. And I was like, that is the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten in my life. Because I think, first of all, it helps you with timing, knowing when to like start and stop music. Cause oh. whether you have music or not, editing is timing, whether you're music or not. And uh, wall to wall music is probably the worst. If I ever hear anything where it's wall to wall music, I can't stand it. So that was the worst piece. It's of exhausting. It's exhausting. You, yeah. you need, it's like jazz. It's like editing narrative. It's like anything. You need space Yes. in between. Like yeah. I love metal, but if I get a CD that's just wall to wall blast beats, yeah, you might as well listen to nothing. Right. Like that's not fun. Right. And reality <laughs> TV breakdown. is a lot of like one song and then like a symbol will come and transition you to the next song. And it's like, oh my God, like, ugh. sorry. You know, you just, re you've reminded me of what my l l question was going to be, which yeah. was, I want to know the file. My, my girlfriend will go on these tears where she'll watch like a, just all of one thing. So she watched all of the housewives, okay, all of it, which yeah. means I watched all of the housewives. Right. And I heard that water harp and that cymbal roll a hundred bajillion times. And I want to know what those file names are. Oh, a reverse symbol. <laughs> 
you know what a reverse symbol is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's a lot of reverse symbols. It's so lazy. I feel terrible. I'm not, listen, I, I'm not saying I'm an incredible editor. I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm just good at some things and you know, I'm, I'm getting better, but, uh, it's a lot of late to me. You know what a good editor can do versus using a symbol, a reverse symbol. You take a beat and you're a music guy. I, I am too. Yeah. I played piano and drums when I was younger, younger. Oh, cool. Um, so you can take the end of a song that has a similar beat and if instead of using that reverse symbol, bring in another song that kind of punctuates that song and takes off another way, that's eh. more interesting if you want to do wall to wall. But reality is just a lazy way of going from, and I, I did it too, because it was like for yeah. speed and whatever, but it's like this, it's like, it sounds like this. It sounds like, and then you get, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? You're like ending a song that's like, so reality TV's got a lot of that like reverse symbol that takes you into the next song. And then it's just wall to wall music. It's awful. Yeah. So it's the, that weird, I've learned the instruments called the water heart, but that thing goes like, yeah. oh, whenever something bad happens, it, it's like, it's like a stinger for like, if anything bad, you'll, I, it's in every food network show. It's in all the housewives. It's in oh, interesting. other, it's this thing. It's this like it go? sharp. You I want to hear it. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's, it sounds like a, it's like a high pitched, like car going by, but it's clearly it, it's the way it's played is actually, it's a, it's a, um, violin bow okay. being run across these metal spikes that are in a, uh, metal ball. Basically. I think I know what you're talking about. Actually. I think I remember that in reality TV. I do. I know what you're talking about. I just want to know what that file name is because I've heard it so many fucking times that I'm like, I just want to, I just want to own it. I just want it to sit on my desktop and I just want to look at it and go, you piece of shit. I will, I will, I will, if I find it, I will email you or find your, let you do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I just want to own it for some reason. Just (laughs) take the power back from it. I heard it so many times. Yeah. It's like a, what's that screen though? What's the screen that's in the Wilhelm screen? Yeah. Wilhelm screen. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Fun fact about the Wilhelm screen. And then this is how we'll end it because it has nothing to do with either of us. Yeah. Uh, I assume you've seen Star Wars. Yes. So in Jedi, Return of the Jedi, you know, they're, they're running into uh, the power plant on Endor. Yeah. And there's like a guy, uh, a guard, and Han Solo like throws like a lunchbox at him and it uh-huh. knocks him into the power plant or whatever. Okay. That's Ben Burt. That's who? And Ben Burt, the, uh, the guy who invented the Wilhelm screen, the guy who put it in all of the movies that made it a meme. Yeah. Ben Burt is the sound designer for like Star Wars and all the Lucasfilm yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's he's the guard. And when Han Solo hits oh, him with the lunchbox, he does his own Wilhelm scream. Oh, that's so funny. He I personally know. vocalizes, ah, like just that's, just to put it in again. That's really funny. That's hysterical. That's very funny. That's good to know. I just learned I like that, that like two days ago. So I like that. I haven't seen Star Wars in a while, but I now we're going to check that out. That's very yeah. funny. I just saw the clip the other yeah, day, yeah. so I was like, eh. yeah. uh, anyway, uh, thanks so much for spending the time with me. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it was good to talk and, to you. Yeah. And uh, congrats on, on getting into Sundance. It's fucking Thank rad. Thank you. Thank you. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. 
Our theme song is written and performed by Mark Pelly, and the Ethidar Mapbox logo was designed by Nate Truax of Truax Branding Company. You can read or watch the podcast you've just heard by going to ProVideoCoalition.com or YouTube.com slash Owlbot, respectively. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>